0: Invite one of our friends up here, uh, Dr. Rick Sacra, would like to share some things that God's been stirring in his heart as we've been learning about the Holy Spirit, the role of the Spirit in our life, um, the fact that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that he is with us, whether we acknowledge it or not, as believers in Jesus Christ, he is with us, and we are learning to respond to him and to his actions. So let's pray for Rick and for the service, the sermon that follows. Lord, thank you so much for your servant, Rick. We thank you for the way in which he serves so faithfully in Liberia through the medical mission that he's a part of. We thank you for when he's here with us as part of our church family. We pray you bless his words this morning. Open up our hearts and minds to understand what it is you're saying to us through him and through the testimony that he brings here this morning. In
1: Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. As many of you know, boy, first of all, just uh, it's interesting how the Lord coordinates. I loved what Tanya had to say, and I, I want to hear it again, because I think it, somehow God is connecting it all together. Um, but as many of you know, uh, my wife Debbie and I have served as missionaries in Liberia, s- sponsored by you guys, our home church, for a long time. Um, but we've been home since October, uh, and this has been a challenging season for us. Our family situation has been hard, uh, and I've been really asking God for wisdom in intervention, but I haven't seen any answers yet. And one morning in May, last month, I was reading uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and I read this funny passage about the Israelites and a battle they had with the Philistines. Now, they had already had one battle and one. They had defeated the Philistines. And then a short time later, it says, Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and God answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Geezer. Now in the King James, by the way, uh, it's translated as balsam trees. So that uh, will come back to us in a minute. You know, the word of the Lord in this passage is coming to the people in the form of a loud gust of wind, making the leaves slap and rattle in the breeze. So it would sound like marching, but it's kind of a strange signal, right? It's like God doesn't yell or shout or say, do this or do that. He says, be paying attention. When you hear the breeze in the top of the trees, then you'll know that it's time to take action and to do the thing I've told you to do. And, um, you know, I had been in this period of time when I was really asking for a clear message from God about something. And this hearing, uh, reading this passage, and it put me in mind of the song. Now, some of you who've been here for a long time know the song. I think we sang it about 10 years ago. There was a season where we were singing it, uh, in worship, in the worship team. And it goes, Can you hear the breeze? In the tops of the balsam trees, hear the marching sound, advancing all around, he's calling you, come on, breakthrough, breakthrough, this is your time to arise, but I was just having this feeling like, God, there's no breakthrough coming for me. Um, What's going on, you know? And it was funny because just a couple hours later, I was just sitting at lunch doing a puzzle, which I sometimes like to do, a little crossword puzzle, as I was eating my lunch. And this fancy word appeared in the puzzle, and it was the word Sithurism, P-S-I-T-H-U-R-I-S-M, Sithurism. I was like, what is that? And that is the fancy word for the sound that leaves make in the breeze. And I was like, I mean, I've never heard that word before in my life. And God was just knocking and saying, Rick, it's me. I'm paying attention to you and to your life. And... Even during these dry periods, I'm paying attention. I am with you. I am in you. It is not. You are not alone. And, you know, I think those of us, now, for some, you know, some believers, we read about them or we hear about them or even they're among us in the church. um, Have gifts, spiritual gifts and that just a sense that God is speaking. They say, God told me this this morning. God spoke to me in a vision last night. He said this. Um, those words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Um, but I don't generally experience the spirit in those ways. My spiritual gifts are a little more pedestrian. Um, you know, Generosity, encouragement, worship, things that don't seem so supernatural. And sometimes I feel like I'm not really walking in the true fullness of the spirit. Maybe some of you feel that way too. But God was trying to say to me, Rick, trust me, listen to what is happening around you. I am sharing my heart with you every day in those little ways through my word when you read it, through Debbie, through what I communicate to you, through those who you are serving, who, those who are, you are working with, those you are fellowshipping with. I am not finished with you. I am speaking to you, I'm at work. You know, and our, our God is real, but this walk we have with him, walking the spirit, walking in the spirit, it is indeed a walk of faith. It is not a walk of sight. Um, you know, sometimes the, the word of God calls the gospel and calls our faith a mystery, and it really is a mystery sometimes. But the fact that it's feeling a little mysterious doesn't mean... Uh, that it's not real and that it's not completely true. Now, sometimes if God is telling you something, sometimes you're not sure and you ask God to confirm it. And, you know, don't be afraid to ask God for confirmation. Even Gideon had to ask God to confirm the message twice. He put the fleece out. It was wet. The next day he says, God, can I test you again and see? Right? Um, But the challenge for all of us, I think, is to be listening so that when God does speak to us in that quiet whisper, that rustling of the wind in the leaves of our lives, that we're paying attention and we're hearing it and we're ready to obey it. So nothing exciting has happened yet, to be honest. In my life, I'm still waiting and abiding and trying to stay plugged in to the Lord, but when When we had the message last week about walking in the spirit, I just felt God just kind of saying, yeah, share that. Um, So it's wonderful to be part of a fellowship of people who loves the Lord and who listens together to the Lord and uh, keep listening. Amen. Thank you, Rick.
0: Thanks, brother. Thank you great when the spirit speaks through the church through the members of the church and uh rick is a a trusted and tested member of the church we continue to pray with him for his family and for god to do an amazing thing but in the meantime we wait and waiting is part of being faithful to god he asks us to wait on him says in the in the word a familiar passage wait on the lord and you'll be renewed in your strength. Something in the process of waiting renews our strength. And I think what it does is it makes us cling to God more because we're waiting. We, we cling to him. We, we grab hold of him. We grab hold of his word. Sometimes certain passages. Sometimes certain things that we learn about him and his word. And we just hold on and we wait. Because we know that God is faithful. God will do what he promised to do. God is not going to change his mind. He said, scripture says he doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're so grateful for his word because it helps us to know what God is capable of. And this morning the message that we have is is one of those amazing messages, one of those amazing moments in the, in the life of the church and for us to look at and we have to realize that leading up to this moment were a lot of days where there was just a rustling of the leaves by the wind. There, there wasn't a lot going on in this particular man's life. Today's text is a real life drama. So I want you to turn to it. It's in Acts chapter 3. It's a real life drama and a lot goes on. But I want us to think through it maybe in a a little different way this morning. It's a real life drama. It comes after Jesus was crucified, raised from the dead, after he's ascended into heaven and has sent his spirit to his disciples. So even after Pentecost. So it comes in Acts chapter 3. The players in this high drama are the disciples of Jesus who are now filled with his spirit and his word, the promises of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, of the spirit of Jesus in them. The other is a, a crippled man that they come across at a gate. And then there are people around. like There's a crowd of people because it's the temple gate. And a lot of people go in and out of that gate to pray. There's also some priests and some religious leaders that are part of this drama. But the biggest player in this drama is God. God makes something happen that is impossible in our eyes. Not to God, but to us. God is working. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all working for one purpose and one mission that they have in mind. It is God's mission to reveal Himself to us, to mankind then to rescue us from our sin, to redeem us, and reconcile humanity, all of us, to himself, to make us his children. So the ascended Lord Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, is King of kings and Lord of lords over all of that. And his mission continues through his word and his spirit, working in and through his disciples. You have a slide that says that so that you can remember it because I want you to understand the mission of God. Elvin, the next slide. The mission of God, Jesus, is continuing. It doesn't end when Jesus ascends into heaven. It has not ended. It is continuing. But it's continuing through the word of God and through the spirit as it works its way through and into the disciples' lives. Does that make sense? There's a transition that takes place here in the history of the world. And that transition has been the Spirit of God has come. The Spirit of Jesus has come, and now he resides in multiple people. Not just in Jesus himself, but now Jesus has spread out among his people as disciples. So I want you to to keep that in mind. I'm going to read for you this passage so that you can see sort of the drama that's playing out. It's it's Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him. As did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave his attention, expecting to get something from them. But then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates, called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The healing of this man is the outworking of God's character and plan. Why I say character is because God loved that man. God loved that man enough to step in and to to give him the ability to walk again. But God's plan is for salvation and deliverance because of that love. He knows we are trapped. We are trapped in our sin. We are trapped in this world filled with diseases and problems. And he loves us so much. Everything that God does comes from the depth of his heart his unconditional love, his unending love. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. He wants to save, to set free, to heal, to transform. To see, He wants us to be able to see him in each other through those eyes of love. Ultimately, God wants us free from the bondage of sin, from death, from sickness, from selfishness, from any pain forever. That is God's ultimate goal. God's goal is to make each of his children whole again because we are broken, broken by sin. Other people's sin and our own. But he has the power to spiritually heal us, to mentally heal us, to physically heal us, to emotionally heal us. And when we are transformed by the inside out, We become more like Christ, more glorious in the image of God as He created us. This is His promise, and God will keep His promise. So, God could do this in a second to the whole world all at once, to every believer who has received Him. He could make everyone whole all at once. God has that kind of power. Because he's greater than all things. Yet, he is choosing to fulfill his desire and his will. And through all those who are willing to follow and receive him, he's doing it in his master plan. We don't make it happen. We simply surrender and receive it when it does happen, like this man. God has perfect timing, and I know that that's hard for us to imagine. Because we have our own timing. We have our own calendar. We have our own to-do list. And we think things should be done in a certain way. But God has perfect timing. And waiting is part of that great work that God does in us. Waiting on him. Eagerly expecting from him. Being open to receive in his way, in his timing, the good things that he has for us. This week at our staff meeting, Judy, our finance manager, she shared this beautiful verse from Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is an Old Testament book. Some of you don't know that. Look it up in the index of your Bible. And Habakkuk 2, 3, and we sort of just thought of this verse and meditated on this verse and, and, and tried to discuss it a little bit as a staff. But listen to these words from the prophet Habakkuk. It is not yet time for the message to come true, but that time is coming soon. The message will come true. It may seem like a long time, but be patient and wait for it, because it will surely come. And it will not be delayed now, as we, we, we were pulling that apart a little bit, and you should do that yourself, so write that reference down, look it up, maybe journal around it or something, but think about that last phrase, it will not be delayed. According to who? According to you, or according to God's master plan? According to God's master plan, everything he does is done perfectly, because he's a perfect God. There's no flaw in our God. There's nothing wrong with his watch or his calendar. He's right on time every time. He's never late, but often he's never early, right? He's right on time. We would like for him to be early, right? But these these passages like this, which are given by the Spirit of God for us to, to, to chew on and to process through, just think about it, be patient, wait for the Lord. It will surely come about and it will not be delayed. God's work and God's will cannot be reduced to our calendars, to our clocks, to our certain conditions when we want it, when we think it's best, or to certain formulas that we are in control of. If I do this, this, and this, then God has to do this. Really? Have you read the Bible much? God will fulfill all of his promises. But we can be confident that he will fulfill each and every one of them at the perfect time, according to his perfection. Philippians 1, a great verse for you to memorize. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. What does it say? until the day of christ jesus now what is the day of christ jesus the day of christ jesus is his second coming when he returns when we are completed in him when god's job to rescue mankind is over that is the day of christ jesus so god is working all the way up to that day but on that day everything will be complete We cannot control God by somehow speaking out what we want to happen, visualizing it. There's another word now they're using out there in the culture, Uh, not materializing it, but something like that. Like if you just, you have enough positive vibes about it, it's going to happen. It's going to come to you. Have you heard this? Manifesting, thank you. Yeah, they're using the word manifesting, you know. Uh, Let's be careful. We don't make something happen. God makes it happen in his timing. If you think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he's the example for us. When he was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified, he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That's like saying, God, not my timing, but your timing. God, not my day and, and calendar, but your day and calendar. God, not my way, but your way. This is the attitude that we also need to adopt if we're going to be Christ-like, if we're going to follow after Christ and be a disciple of Christ. God's timing is perfect, and we need to trust him completely, just as our Savior did. In Ephesians 2.10 We can read, we are his workmanship. We are are his masterpiece, scripture says. Alvin, we have this on on, on a slide as well. We are his workmanship. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. He's, He's creating you all over again in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago to do. There are things that God has planned to do through you. On this particular day, with Peter and John, God had planned that out. That was not Peter and John's plan. God had planned it. And by his spirit, and by his wisdom, and by his ability to do the miraculous and the mysterious, he was able to use those disciples to bring that man to health, to wholeness, at least in the area of walking and leaping and praising God. But that's not the miracle of this story. The miracle comes later because 5,000 people were saved because of that one man that day. 5,000 people observed this and processed this and thought about this and then listened to what Peter had to say in his sermon that follows. We could call it a speech, but he explains what's going on. But God is all-knowing. This was not Peter's plan. This was not John's plan. They didn't wake up in the morning and say, what kind of crazy stuff can we do today? How about we go to the temple and heal a crippled man? They didn't do that they got up in the morning and said, God, we are your servants. We are here to worship and praise you and glorify you. What will you do through us today? We don't know, but we want to follow you in it. So God, in his wisdom, planned that day for that man, but not just for that man, for his glory. So that 5,000 people who were going to hell that morning, were not going to hell that night they had found their salvation through jesus christ through the preaching of the word that came after this miracle so in acts 3 6 when they answer silver and gold we do not have but what we do have we give to you in the name of jesus christ of nazareth walk now this text is not about peter and john it's not about them doing all the right things, speaking all the right words, or using a magic Christian formula of some sort, or being more spiritual or, or, or wiser than anyone else. It's not about the cripple man who looked to them expecting to receive something. He thought he'd get some money. It's not about his faith. He didn't have much faith. He thought he might get a couple bucks, right? This passage is all about God and God's perfect timing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit working together with their heart of love and their heart of healing to reach the world. To reach the world. They're on a mission. And as the disciples follow that mission, signs and wonders follow the disciples. You see, Jesus, the Son, the ascended Lord, and the King of all, all things is all powerful and has all authority and rules and reigns from heaven, but by his spirit here on earth, in the minds and the hearts of each and every one of you who truly follow him, who truly wake up in the morning wanting to serve him, not making it about you, but making it about him. You see, a lot of a lot is made in this passage, and you hear this sometimes in the wrong context, but this phrase that he uses, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. You see, we need to understand something, because at this time in that culture, a person's name represented that person's Whole being, their authority, their influence, everything they had done, everything that they they were able to do, it reflected who they were. So in the name of is all-encompassing. It's every thought, every feeling, every action, every miracle, every relationship that's associated with the name of Jesus. You see, Peter and John had been with Jesus when they when he walked this earth. As a man, he did life with them for three years, just about 24 hours a day for three years with Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? They saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him cast out demons. They heard his words, his teachings. They heard the, the, the inflection of his voice when he taught. Did Jesus say that in an angry way? Did Jesus say that in a gentle way? We don't know. We try to discern by the spirit. When he spoke to the woman at the well. When he spoke to the lepers. How was he speaking to them? They got to observe all of that. They got to hear all of that. They got to ask him questions about all of that. And they got to feel his love as he responded to their questions. Because some of their questions were not not too bright. Right? Kind of silly. And he would redirect them, but he did it in a loving way. He washed their feet. He laid down his life for them. He was raised from the dead. He even cooked them breakfast before he was ascended into heaven. This is how well they knew Jesus. This is how well they knew him. Jesus said to them at the Last Supper, remember me remember me and they had personal memories of every part of those three years personal memories of him weeping at his friends lazarus's tomb personal memories of all of the things that we read about and we we try to imagine and we try to ask the spirit to 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 help us to grasp But they saw his love, his truth, his power, and they heard him commissioning them to go and do likewise, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. All that he gave of himself was in their memory, was with them. So that's why they had the power and the authority and the relationship to use his name, to say, in the name of Jesus walk, because they knew him. Jesus gave them his spirit. He gave them his identity. He gave them his love, and he even gave them the use of his name. In fact, in John 16, in the gospel, John remembers when he said, you know, until now you have not asked for anything in my name, but now you will. That's John 16, 24. So when they said, in the name of Jesus... They were one with him. They understood what they were saying. I'm afraid that's not true of everyone on the earth today who uses the name of Jesus. Often they don't even know him. Often they're abusing his name, twisting his name, using it in the wrong way. The only people who have authority to use his name in the power of his name are those who know him intimately. You've got to know him intimately. Intimately. To walk in that type of life, in that spirit-filled, powerful kind of life. So when they said the name of Jesus, they were one with him and they knew his will for this situation, somehow, mysteriously, they knew his will for this man on that day. I believe that they lived their lives, as Romans 12 tells us to, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God not letting their mind be conformed to the pattern of this world, but letting it be transformed so that they could know the will of God and the way that God wanted to use them in that day. Romans 12, 1 and 2, another great, great memory verse, something to put into your memory. To live your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. This is your spiritual act of worship, scripture says. So as we think about this, the power that is in the name of Jesus comes from Jesus, who is what he has done and who wills to do it even more. He wants to use the spirit in every single one of his disciples to bring the power of Jesus and the message of Jesus to the world. This is Pentecost. This is the spirit has been given to you so you can be witnesses of me. That's what Jesus accomplished. So all throughout the book of Acts and throughout the ages ever since, every miracle, every speech, every sign, every wonder is all to point to Jesus. Never to a man, never to a woman, never to an organization, never to a denomination, but to Jesus and only Jesus. He receives all the glory and honor. From his people no one else we have to be careful because we we can see a person we can touch a person we can we can grasp onto a person who may be using the name of jesus but that's not jesus that's not jesus unless they are walking in the fullness of the spirit humbly before him being used as his vessels they should be tested scripture says We should be a little bit suspect, making sure that their words line up with God's word. Scripture reveals the heart of God to us. And his heart is that no one would be lost, that all would be able to know him and receive him. That's his ultimate plan. That's his master plan. So let's look before we end today at the two different responses. We're going to continue in this passage because it goes into chapter 4 uh, as as Peter preaches his message after this. But let's just look at the initial reaction when Jesus heals this man on this particular day all these centuries ago. In Acts 3, chap uh, in Acts, Acts 3 verse 10 it says They recognized him, so they being the crowd, all the people recognized him as being the same man who used to sit begging at that temple gate called Beautiful. So they recognized him, so he'd been there before. Guess who else had been there before? Jesus. Guess who else had been there before? All the other disciples. They walked in and out of that gate. That's how they got to the prayer area of the temple. And they walked back and forth, and that man was there. 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 I don't know how many days. Nobody calculated it. But he had been crippled his whole life. He may have been carried there his whole life, all 40 years. Jesus walked by. Disciples walked by. They walked by again. They walked by again. They walked by again. He's always asking for money. That's how he survives. Asking for help. From the crowd he had to wait for that miracle he had to wait until god's plan was put in place because god had more than the healing of his legs in mind he had the salvation of thousands in mind see god's always higher than us in in the thinking area right His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That means like he's doing something that we can see a tiny sliver of maybe, and he has it connected to everything else that he's doing. God is a master planner. God knows the right time for everything. So the response here, number one, is that the people who knew this man was crippled for 40 years and now saw him walking and leaping and praising God... They were filled with wonder and amazement, the scripture said. These words are translated obviously from the Greek. But wonder and amazement is used very sparingly in the New Testament. You don't see it all the time. We have this horrible tendency in our language to use big words for small things. Like, that ice cream was awesome! It's amazing! It's only ice cream. Get over it, you know? So we use words, but but the New Testament doesn't do that. So when they say wonder and amazement, these people were blown away. And not because, you know, that was their favorite flavor ice cream, but because they saw a man who never walked, as far as they could remember, jumping and leaping and praising God. That would put you in awe, wouldn't it? And that's how some of the people, most of the people responded. So... Now they have the testimony, they have the story. I was at the temple today and you won't believe what happened. You know that man that's been there for 40 years and he's always begging and he's always laying on that mat and he's always crippled? That man, that same man got up and was jumping and leaping and praising God. Now all those people have that testimony. They have the testimony of receiving something, of observing something so extraordinary, so totally awesome that only God could do it. There's no other explanation. No one gave him a special medicine. We don't hear about, you know, some kind of therapy he went to. No, suddenly he wasn't walking. Then he was walking. It is a miracle. And they observed it. God designed it that way. He wanted them to see it. Scripture says all of them were filled with wonder and amazement, except for the next group of people. The religious leaders. The religious leaders look to the two disciples and interpret what has happened through their own pride and their own flesh. So they're at the same event. The same thing happened. They're seeing the same man do that, but they interpret it differently. You ever been in that kind of situation with someone? You're like, wait a minute. That's not what happened. Oh, no, it did. Oh, no, it didn't. And you can't figure it out because you're both at the same event. But because of their own pride, because of their own arrogance, because of their resistance to the things of God, they believe that these men must have been really religious or done something really good, doing all the right things that somehow empowered them to make this this crippled man walk. But Peter, the, the passage tells us, Peter knew their thoughts. Who does that remind you of? Jesus, he always knew their thoughts. He knew he knew when the Pharisees were thinking a certain thing, they didn't even have to say it. And he'd say, you know what? I know what you're thinking. And so I'm gonna say this. So Peter does the same thing because the spirit of Jesus is in him. He knew their thoughts and he declared in his speech, which we'll look at next week, to these men of Israel, that Jesus is the glorified servant of God, the Holy One, the Messiah, the Prince of Life. The Christ, the anointed one, who suffered and was raised from dead by God Himself, so that salvation could come to the whole world. And he says in in chapter three, verse nineteen, so the only response you should have to this is to repent and turn to God. Three nineteen, let's look at it real quickly. He, say, he, he, he talks to them about who this Jesus is what you have witnessed here is, is him at work doing his work and then they, then they say so your only proper response here to Christ is in 319 repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord times of refreshing may come from the Lord Remember, the name of Jesus is every thought, every feeling, every action, every relationship that's associated with Jesus. Everything of who Jesus is and what he has done, what he is still doing, and what he will do is associated with his name. He is Jesus, the Savior of the whole world. Acts 4.12 says that there is no other name There is no salvation under any other name than Jesus. He's the only way. This is God's greatest blessing that He is offering. When God raised Christ from the dead, it says in 326, He sent Him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. How does God bless us? By turning us. By turning us. Away from our wicked ways. Away from our sin. Away from the things that continue to to dog us and destroy us. So when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to everything that's associated with him. But you're also saying no to wickedness. You're saying, "Uh uh-uh, I can't go there anymore. That's not who I am. That's not who God is making me to be. I know it's not easy, but when we remember him, he will bless us when we turn to him. We remember who he is, the power that he has. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done for you. He has offered you an escape, a way out. And it is the name of Jesus, which is is literally translated, God saves. His name means God saves, or God's salvation. That's why he had to be named Jesus. So there's no other name in which we can be saved. And we see the results of this message, of this witnessing of this man being healed, is in verse, uh, chapter four, verse four. Many believed, and the number grew to about 5,000. Because this one man received that one miracle on that one day. God, God is amazing. God is still active doing this around the world today. We don't see it. And so we start to think it doesn't happen. But if we read it, and if we begin to meditate on it, if we begin to ask God to put us in a position where we can see these things, where we can observe these things, where we can walk in these things, God is still doing these things. I believe it with my whole heart. And I hope you do too. So let's pray. And we're going to sing. God, we thank you so much for your power on display through your disciples in this passage. We thank you, Lord, that they were obedient to go to prayer that day. We thank you, Lord, that they were obedient to follow you for that three years of time, to listen to your teachings, to see what you were able to do. We thank you for the confidence and the boldness that they acted in because they knew it was you and not them. Teach us, Lord, this lesson, we pray in your holy name, amen.